Hey, Scott, did you know Stephen King once said, quote, monsters are real and ghosts are real, too. They live inside us and sometimes they win. Yes. Did you know that? Yes. Well, you know, as a horror fan, you can win, too, by checking out Jay of the Dead's new horror movies, a free podcast that reviews brand new horror films from the year of our Lord 2022. They also get horror themed segments like The Dead Zone monsters on the mantle and it could happen to you horror it's like a horror magazine but an audio podcast form you can subscribe for free on spotify apple and google Podcasts, stitcher and of course newhorrormovies.com that's jay the dead's new horror movies the berserk baboon of horror podcasting that's right uh and while we're here i gotta give a shout out to our benevolent corporate overlords at fangoria in 1979 the first issue of fangoria was released into the world it's been over 40 years and they are better than ever each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive carefully curated content honoring horror's past present and future these articles and interviews will never be published online so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical collectible copy of your own We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head over to Fangoria.com now to learn more and to subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. And now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. Folks, it finally happened. One of our guests selected 112263 as their chosen KingCast title. And we couldn't be more excited to kick around this particular title with this particular guest. You know him from shows like Tim and Eric, Awesome Show, Great Job, and Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, from his work in films like Bridesmaids, Us, and two of my personal favorites, Rick Alverson's The Comedy and Entertainment, as well as the long-running and and truly magnificent On Cinema. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my distinct honor to welcome Mr. Tim Heidecker to the KingCast stage. How are you doing, Tim? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Uh, Something I wanted to tell you very briefly up front is that... You were one, actually one of the first people I ever interviewed. When oh, really? I started out in this business. Yeah, it, the interview was set for. It was going to be you and Tim, and it was me for, and Eric. You mean? Uh, yes, excuse me, you and Eric. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, it, it was you and yourself. Yeah, <laughs> the two Tims, um, the two Tims tour, uh, and I had no fucking idea of what I was doing. Uh, it was very, very green uh, at that point, and. Um, so I got on the phone with you and lobbed a few probably terrible hacky questions at you guys. And then you and then one of you goes, uh, hey, you know who you should talk to? And you put David Lieberharvard on the phone oh, wow. and, just, and just let him finish the interview. <laughs> he just <laughs> happened like, to be there in the office, huh? I guess so. And yeah. uh, like you guys were clearly still sitting there and just sort of watching him. Oh, you know, because I could hear you interject from time to time. But he uh, he took that ball and he he really ran he filibustered. <laughs> oh yes he did i don't think i even got any more questions in at that no. point but uh 
Oh, that's very, me- <laughs> very memorable experience. <laughs> yeah. I thank you for that. We were pretty, uh, <clears throat> pretty salty back then with, with press. Well, I mean, you know, if, if, if you didn't know what you're doing, maybe we sniffed that on you. And oh yeah, I think um, <laughs> if somebody comes in with good questions and are a really good uh, conversationalist, you know, then you've got me where you want me, and I'll happily answer. You know, talk. But sometimes <laughs> right. people come in very green and very, mm-hmm. uh, you know, unprofessional, and um, I suppose we would see that as a opportunity to make some of our own content, you know, for our own amusement. <laughs> Honestly, well played. And it was, you know, it was fun. I just, uh, I, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget that one. It was a, a really That's unique funny thing. There's a, a guy, I won't name names, but there was a guy who I would meet on press tours regularly uh, back in my more junketing uh, days mm-hmm. uh, when I was with Ain't It Cool News. And he, uh, he was always somebody I was really excited to follow up. Because he always bombed so hard. Uh, and there was a, I, I remember I did a round table with him. I very rarely did round tables, but I did one with him once at the hangover junket. And for uh, he would do stuff like ask Bradley Cooper, like, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, that uh-huh. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and clearly he was on assignment, so I can't knock him, you know, too hard. That wh- whoever he was writing for was demanding he asked those kind of questions. Arbor Magazine, obviously. Yeah, Arbor <laughs> Magazine. But yeah, so there's one thing that I'll never forget, and that's I was at Sundance for, um, I don't remember what year it was, but it was the year that they came together, played there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, David and, Wayne, right? Or uh, Yes. Some, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so it was this giant group roundtable where it was like one reporter and like 18 people from the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was like Paul Rudd and... Right. Uh, 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 I just blanked on her name, Leslie Nope. Um, and, uh, uh, I just said it to Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Yeah. yeah, Amy Poehler. You know, and, and uh, you know, everybody, everybody from the movie was there. Like all this, in the most funny people in the world. And... He literally, and I'm like, I'm next up after him. And I remember sitting there and hearing him, (laughs) hearing him ask that question about like, about like, so they say New York's, you know, a a character in movies, like, and like completely missing that that's half of the joke of the fucking movie. Right. Right. (laughs) And, and he's trying to earnestly ask about New York as a character in in the movie and (laughs) watching Paul Rudd and and, and Amy, watching Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler, like, you know, just look at each other going, oh my God. (laughs) And then they just ran with it. And like, it, it almost got bullying to the end where I felt a little bad for him because like they would answer every question with well you know new york it's a character in this or something <laughs> well the but, pet peeve uh, I, the pet peeve we always had was yeah. uh was the questions that were that were designed to make the interviewer sound funny or clever that mm-hmm. ultimately oh, no. were yes yeah. no questions you know that oh, were like <laughs> just like um do you like eating Snickers uh with your eyes closed or with your or sitting on a toilet you know and you'd just be like, I'm not playing into this. I'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going along with this ride that you're taking me on. You know, uh-huh. this is not about you and your your clever uh, and your wit. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor did, nor is the premise very good. Well, that was a bad <laughs> example, but obviously <laughs> I'm not as clever as some of these uh, junket guys are. Right. <laughs> right. right. You, you can't uh, just come off of the top of your head like what season of the yeah. month would or what season would you be? What month of the year would you be if you could choose which month you are? Yeah. What was what was the press junket experience like for y'all on Billion Dollar Movie? 
Like, were you getting people that had no familiar, uh, familiarity with y'all whatsoever? Yeah, we did a fair amount of that. They had set us up with like this, you know, whatever it is, this service that just kind of rolls through like, you know, the Taiwanese free press and the, you know, like general movie news dot biz, you know, and, um, <laughs> and yeah, you, they just had this, like, uh, I mean, maybe you guys had done this before, uh, just kind of this like world weary shirt untucked. Uh, I've done 40 of these kind of, you know, and the question, so what was it like working with Will Ferrell? <laughs> I, you know, what do you want me to say? It was great. I don't know. You know it's, just that kind of stuff. And then we would just, but if, because Eric and I were there together, then it, it became more just like, how can we make uh, a bit out of this? Or how could, you know, how can we keep right. ourselves entertained? And ultimately, like, sometimes it was funny. Sometimes it just comes across maybe as being mean or, you know, um, arrogant or something. But it was really just because we were kind of bored of the, of the, and also just, the disdain of the disinterest coming off of them made us sort of combative, I guess. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Nothing, yeah. Nothing's worse. Uh, well, I will say that like I have a, a friend in New Zealand. His name is Carter Nixon. Shout uh-huh. out to Carter. Oh yeah. I like Carter he, a lot. He is like, we, we've had some fairly well-known people. We had Stephen King himself has come on the show. Right. And mm-hmm. he's very supportive and, you know, very lovely guy. I've known him for years, uh, but he's going to lose his fucking mind when he finds out that you came on the show. Cause he's the biggest oh. on cinema fan in the world. Like he, he and his well, kids bond over. It I don't and, know how much this is public knowledge, but you know who he works with or oh, for. He, oh yeah. That's how yeah. I met him. I was doing uh set visits and stuff on Peter Jackson stuff. Yeah. So we're yeah. like, that's the, that's the golden goose there is to uh, get Peter on Mr. Jackson into the on cinema <laughs> universe. Not even to have him on, but just to have him be like become a fan of it, which I think he could become a fan of. Oh yeah. No, his sense um, of humor is very much what you yeah. would imagine the guy who made bad taste and yeah and, and dead alive would be exactly. the No, I'm a big fan, yeah. like you know, like uh, there's a movie he made called Forgotten Silver. Yes. And the, the faux uh, documentary, yeah. Yeah. And I was trying to get a screening of that going, but it, and and Carter was actually helping out, but there were it's it's in this weird legal limbo rights, uh, foreign rights limbo thing that made it interesting. Hard. But yeah, I'm trying to like, yeah, think of clever ways to. Also because of his uh, Beatles stuff, I'm a, I'm a big Beatles freak. So yeah, get back. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Carter, and he's oh yeah, he's like I work for Peter. If you ever need anything, I'm like okay, I'm gonna just put that in the back <laughs> of my head and figure out how to use that. Right, you can't you can't throw something like that out there and not expect somebody to grab it and run with it. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know who I feel like would fit really well into the on cinema world is uh, Guillermo del Toro. I mm. think he would roll with that very well. Yeah, I mean we've we have certain. It's interesting we talk about this sometimes because we do have like famous fans or whatever, you know, people that would be, um, but it never really makes sense to use them. Um, cause these guys in the show, the characters, you know, the world of that show would be, are so far away from that world. You know, it feels (laughs) like they wouldn't fit, they wouldn't know about it or fit in, in any kind of ways. So, um, we've, and you know, it's just not a, it's not that interesting to us to just be like, Hey, look who we could get. Right. Right. Right, right. I could see Guillermo maybe even doing something like his Always Sunny, you know, thing where he just comes in and plays just something completely off the wall. Dude, know? Guillermo's like, a little freak. <laughs> I didn't know that. that in yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a character, but he's also, like, got a, a real 
sly sense of humor and I just, I just, I feel instinctively that that's a, a thing he would, he would like to. <laughs> All be right, well, listeners, in. send him uh, your favorite clips of on cinnamon. <laughs> the problem with Guillermo is he's, uh, he's like, I'd say there's 24 hours in a day, and he's got 22 and a half of them like booked for the next 10 years. So. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. That he is the problem. Yeah, projects. but everybody, everybody has time to watch shit, right? Like that's everybody's true. caught yeah. up on. The dumb, sh- the dumb murder mystery uh, reenactment shows and, and you know. <laughs> the true crime Netflix <laughs> yeah. specials and stuff. Yeah, mm. yeah. Everyone gets sure. everyone's like, oh, I, I don't have time to watch your five hour fake trial, but I just watched a forty hour, <laughs> you know, re- remake of a podcast. <laughs> so are you are you a horror guy? I feel like you you must be to some degree, right? Well, you'd be wrong. Um, really. I well no I wouldn't no I'm not uh not a deep horror guy. I liked I liked the good shit, I guess. No, I grew up right. with um uh re- certainly reading some of the bigger Stephen King books. Um but and I wasn't like a gore gore guy. I wasn't a no offense. Right. Uh yeah. I wasn't a, a Fangoria subscriber. I was oh, well, friendly with fine. folks. We just uh, work here. That's yeah. you know. <laughs> I did get to uh, write something for them when Us came out. I wrote like a little guest thing. I think I did. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah, but you know, I I mean, I I I watched what everybody watched. I watched Nightmare and El- I mean, uh, yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. and and uh, Friday the Thirteenth and um, as yeah, you for were newer legally stuff, obliged legal, to do that. Yeah, illegally in- obliged <laughs> to to watch those in the eighties. That that was a rite of passage. You didn't have a choice. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I just newer stuff. I yeah, I don't know newer stuff. I don't watch that much of, um, but which is kind of why I probably picked this book because it's not really a horror no at all no. And you know something we've talked about on the show a lot is that um, when Stephen King tackles like big sci-fi stuff, um, like let's say Dreamcatcher, Tommyknockers. Um, even the Langoliers to some degree, although I would argue that's more just like straight up horror. He doesn't tend to stick the landing uh, on those ones, like, mm. you know, particularly Dreamcatcher and Tommyknockers. And it occurred to me just, you know, in in prepping for this episode that, you know, 112263 is absolutely a, a science fiction story. And we yeah. we always fucking leave that out when we're we're taking that swing right, cuz it's good about the sci-fi <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well it undermines our entire argument. I, I guess is what I'm saying. So we got to <laughs> probably knock that off. Well, now, that but. that's my like sort of uh first big takeaway from it is that what was cool to me about it was that I think Steven Spielberg <laughs> Steven Spielberg Stephen King um that happens a lot on this show. was <laughs> like what if I wrote a time travel book? How? What if I wrote the best time travel book? Like, what if I actually sat down and thought about how it would really work, what it re- would really mean? Like, what is the best version of a time travel story? Um, so that that was the the quality of the storytelling and the thoughtfulness of it really mm. seemed uh, noticeable to me. For sure. Right. Apparently, he had to do more research on this one than like any other novel he ever ever wrote, which I have no trouble believing because it seems 
researched within an inch of its life. Oliver Stone's JFK and get to work. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Stephen King's Uh, Oliver Stone's JFK. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get back to 112263 in a second. But first, I wanted to ask you what your Mm. your Stephen King origin story is. How did you first become aware of him, like as a kid? I would assume it was my parents having a few of his books. the very, very early, I can, I can picture, like I can close my eyes and kind of picture four seasons, mm. uh, different, different seasons, seasons. different yeah, yeah. seasons. Thank you. I can picture that now. I can picture different seasons now. <laughs> um, was that under a, a, another name? That one was King. Um, okay. but You're yeah, think- that- yeah. No, well, I was going to say, you might be thinking of just the Bachman books. Yeah. But yeah, different, different seasons was the one it had like. I'm guessing the copy they would have had would have been like the hardcover with like the, it's got like a circle on the front of it with like stranger things, uh, font. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, (laughs) they definitely borrowed that from from King when the time came. Um, were your parents big readers? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, they were big. Yeah. They were always, always had a book on their, on their night, night shelf, night stand. Yes. Night stand. Yes. Um, you know, night shift, du- night shift, night shift. Was, I think night shift might've been in the collection, but yeah, yeah. It, I mean, he was so ubiquitous in the right. early eighties. There was just no getting around seeing him. If you went to the, you know, Bantam, bo- uh, what not Bantam books, the Walden books, know, Walden books. Yeah. It was just, yes. there was always a, a Stephen King display. Uh, his, his books were neatly, uh, and very prominently displayed. Um, I, a couple other early, early memories being, of course, um, seeing The Shining on HBO, but not the whole thing. Just there would been there was like an H, HBO um, kind of a mini doc, a documentary about horror movies that included a couple of key scenes from The Shining. Hmm. I also remember this um, this movie, what was the the book he did? Maximum Overdrive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I remember there. I remember being pretty young in that movie coming out, and my my cousin and I saying we should write the song for the the movie. We should write, and so we had this like Maximum Overdrive song that we thought was awesome. <laughs> and in our minds, we we're like, we got to record this now. It's like it's it's coming out next week. Like we have to get this. We have it's to hot. make this, this is our song. moment. Yeah. And we were pretty young. We were like eight or nine. So we didn't know how any of this stuff worked. But never um, mind that ACDC already wrote all the songs. For right. That. Exactly. Yeah. I get, I mean, we just didn't have any idea. We didn't. Why would we know that? But um, have you seen Maximum Overdrive? I don't think I ever did. No. <laughs> I don't. Well, who was in that? Who ended up being in that? Emilio Estevez. Estevez. Oh, yeah. okay. For starters uh, and for enders, really, because that's about it. Um, uh, Yardley Smith before the Lisa oh, Simpson. Oh, it. that's true. That's true. Yeah. And this John was a Carlos this- Posito is early role in that one as well before the Gus Fring revolution. Yeah. And I this was a, a movie about a, like a runaway truck of, or like a monster truck that was killing people or something. Oh, sir. You Sorry. absolutely <laughs> must see Maximum Overdrive. I will. I think you would be very taken with it, mm-hmm. uh, particularly – with with the benefit of experience and of life experience to watch that movie now like cold would be uh, <laughs> a real delight i think okay. it, it's it's about uh, through a very tortured series of circumstances involving a comet circling the earth and oh radiation and maybe the comet is a ufo or there's don't worry about that the point <laughs> is that it 
it it comes in contact with the earth and now all the machines on earth a lot means, of machines well it is but the movie's kind of picky about which ones the power does and does not affect kind of dependent uh. on the scene you know it's not it's th- this movie was made mostly uh through the benefit of cocaine so right. th- you know there's some dangling threads here and did there. he did he like directed or writers like yeah. wrote yeah hey, yeah he wrote it and directed it had wow. never directed a movie before and <laughs> um yeah dino de Laurentiis uh overseeing him on on that production and it was just uh there at the same time as blue velvet in the same uh the same town yeah yeah wow. a, a thing a thing you might really enjoy and i'll you know you're free to take it or leave it but watch maximum overdrive and then you can find very easily a, a, a script that was on the blacklist some years ago called Maximum King, which is a very thinly veiled it. Well, it's it's like imagine one of those movies that's about the making of a movie. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's very heightened, almost like a like a like an anchorman level of. Uh, oh, OK. Surrealism brought to the world uh, with Stephen King as the main character, and it is. In no way, shape, or form could it ever actually be filmed, but it is uh, highly entertaining. I think I, I think you would respond. You don't to that. think? Do you think Stephen King uh, has like a sense of humor about that period of his life? Like- <laughs> um, the fifth word in the script is cocaine, um, and it does not let up through the entirety of it. And the fe- and you know his struggles as you know an addict and and you know going through that period of like that explosive rise to, to stardom that he had like, like he's, he's just being given the reins to direct a fucking movie at that point. And he has no idea what he's doing. You know, right. that's the level that he was at. Um, I can't imagine he has a really good sense of humor about that. Right. And well, especially uh, that, that one, it paints him as being like criminal control, criminally negligent and <laughs> yes. And in a real prick to him, his family and all his coworkers right. and stuff. Uh, please, or at the very least, watch Maximum Overdrive. I, will I, do, I definitely will. really love that movie. It is um, highly On Criterion, I suppose? Or yes. Where, where, where should I oh, of course. Uh, 4K. Yeah, Criterion UHD, channel or... Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> right next to Kurosawa. Were you a reader as a kid, though? Uh, yeah. I, I, I read... Uh, a lot. I I'm trying to think of like this. I I'm I read a fair amount of Stephen King. I wrote I read a lot of. Um, I mean, I couldn't tell you what I read before like high school, but you know, we didn't have cell phones and Twitter and, uh, right. and these things. So I'm sure I was just reading books. Like most, like that was my um, non TV recreational activity. So whatever these those would have been i think like a fair amount of sci-fi like isaac asimov i think i read a bunch of that and um kurt vonnegut yeah. i was a big kurt vonnegut reader did um, you go through a Crichton phase i went through a Crichton phase yeah I, that's yeah. a good one yeah I, like this is the thing these things just get completely lost they get you know fully dumped out of my brain so i don't remember but when you bring up things i will remember so feel All free right. to Feel free to like to th- uh, lob some names at you. Yeah, and and I will be honest as I can be, but um, yeah, Michael, uh, yeah, Androm- Andromeda Strain and mm-hmm. uh, Sphere, sure. Sphere, yeah, Congo, and ones- Congo, so definitely rad. read those. I read all those. Yeah, definitely like beach books. We'd go to the we'd go to Florida, yeah. and I'd, oh, sure. I'd grab a paper like four or five paperbacks, and uh, um, 
Steve, the Stephen King books I would have read. I I uh, assume I I don't think I ever read it. I think I had a friend who was really really into them and into that, but um, I I I definitely read The Shining and um, yeah, so, some the I read fairly recently uh, on the beach in Florida, maybe ten years ago. One of his called The Cell. Yeah. Oh yeah, the cell phones <laughs> that kill people. In, uh-huh. Yeah, that, um, that's kind of in the same universe as Maximum Overdrive. Not yeah, a, not a home run. Not a home. No, run. but a good beach, like just something to tear through. You know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's it's interesting. Be and this might be a good segue into eleven twenty two sixty three because what Cell does so well is set up a really great premise and drop you into it. Uh, and I think where Cell kind of fails is where eleven twenty two sixty three really succeeds is that like you're able to luxuriate in the moment uh with 11 63 and it's building to a for sure thing and that's just right. by nature of the the story is is building to the assassination right right uh where cell he's like okay cool cell phones turn you into zombies nobody can communicate that way it's an instant post-apocalyptic you know story yeah. and then where do we go from here oh shit i don't there they all have a hive mind i don't know you know yeah. it's like you know it feels so like it he's, he's feeling like a, it out yeah versus, like uh, grabbing the uh the zeitgeist of the walking dead at that moment and hmm. running with it a little bit yeah that's, it, that's another sure. one where there's there's an adaptation of that one with John Cusack. Mm. Oh right, Samuel L. Jackson. You don't want to see that movie. I wrote. I wrote. <laughs> you don't want to. I, mean, I wrote. Go down I that read road. the uh, under the under the dome. No, that mm-hmm. was that was oh, under the dome. Know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was cool. Um, I read fairly. I would say in the past ten years, because I never read this when it came out, but my parents definitely had this one. Of course, uh, the stand. Yes. Um, the the more recent version that was sort of the expanded longer version right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a fucking great but bu- i mean that's a fucking yeah. great book like that's literature right for people yeah that's, it's gotta that's be a big one i it's gotta be the one i like you recommend like, well no no, no i mean <laughs> of course you know i'll recommend a bunch of them but it's i think that's the one that once once stephen king has shuffled off the mortal coil i that's got to be the one he's most remembered for right right like that one fucked me up too i mean i was like reading that on on a vacation in mexico and would have just very dark deep deep dreams mm. reading that one that that book got into my head like that's a that's a sinister book well go mm. elaborate on that a little bit do you remember what kind of dreams mm. Like, were you I mean, dreaming about infection? About uh, yeah, just like uh, apocalyptic thoughts, scenarios, just the uh, end of the world. Uh, right on. The, the, yeah, basically, what was going on in the book? A lot in of my people mind. got the uh, got the urge to reread that one when COVID hit. Which um, oh yeah, well yeah. sure, very. I did, yeah, and I yeah. did, yeah. That's true. And bad ad- bad adaptations, right? Like that one, all recently re, re- ad- oh. adapted. That's I try. I couldn't get. I couldn't get through first. Yeah, couple it's, of it's tough. That that one. Yeah, sank like a lead balloon. The the new one. Yeah. Um, I I love. I love. I still love the '90s one though. It's it's very much of like that time and that place, a and TV it's got movie. all the. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's got those limitations on it, and it's got you know, um, I don't know. It's it it feels a little quaint now, given given how 
fucking overboard everything is uh and like yeah you know slickly produced everything is now but um you know i really thought they had a shot at sort of like you know at least matching it in modern terms on the new one but like come the fuck on with that dude. yeah like mm. i I, I was actually on board with it for the first few episodes. I was like, this is kind of interesting. Let's see what they do with this fractured narrative that they're they're working with. And then it became clear that the emperor had no no goddamn clothes <laughs> right. by the end of it. And it's just like, oh, well, it's fuck. just so massive of a of a story. And, uh, you know, it's just it's some things just belong as what they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just doesn't tr- doesn't translate to other right. mediums as well. Well, he- here's their big failing is that. For me, especially with these longer books, you talk about the 1122s, the it's um, under the dome, like part of the joy of the stand is luxuriating in that time period. Right. Mm -hmm. And like feeling and that's something that I think Mick Garris did really well with the 90s version is when Captain Trips hits. It's like you you live there, you know, you feel like you're walking, you know, state to state with these people, you know, maybe some people will feel like that's a, a negative or whatever, but that slower pace is what the whole thing's about that you're living in this world with these characters. And that's mm-hmm. something you totally missed on the new uh, stand adaptation because they were so busy trying to keep your mind occupied. It was like the ADHD, you know, adaptation of it. It's that's uh, very true. Um, but yeah, I mean, and that's something that, you know, you can't look at something like 11, 63 and not do. Cause that's half of the point of the book is setting you in that world. Yeah, you know, the, the world version of, the of early sixties. Yeah. 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 Um, one, one other big, early king memory for me is um another summer vacation but we had uh there was this audio uh uh, like a radio play of the mist of the mist yeah 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 yeah. do you know what i'm talking about i know exactly what you're talking about yeah this stereoscopic uh whatever 3d sound 3d sound Mm mm-hmm that was just the coolest thing. It was, ins- it really worked. It was, you know, it did these tricks where the mosquito would fly from one ear to the other <laughs> ear and, you know, you'd feel like it was behind, like things were behind you in front of you. Um, I'd love to hear that again. I, th- I don't, it felt like a little, like a gimmick that came and went that didn't really catch on or something, but. Yeah. I don't think they've done that on any of his other titles and I'm, I'm sure that exists on other books. You know, like yeah. an audio, like a, a almost like a radio play version with the bells and whistles of the audio, but nothing's coming immediately to mind. No, um, maybe people just you know they just prefer to have the shit read to them. <laughs> you yeah, know, you know I what I mean. It's very effective, for that, and that's a good, that's a perfect little story for it too. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's one uh, one of his great short stories. You think in this like. age of podcast, you know, being one of the dominant, you know, forces. Yeah that that would come back and i guess to a certain degree it has marvel i know is playing around with that and they do like uh dramatic rereadings of like wolverine tales and they bring mm. in like famous people and stuff to do right it. um but yeah I mean, <laughs> there was that great period like all the star wars had radio drama versions of of mm-hmm. them and you know e- even in the you know 70s and 80s it was kind of like the last uh heyday of, of that kind of stuff but you'd think that like you know podcasting you know and the success of that and the ease of podcast would be right kind of paved the way for more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, folks, we're interrupting for the show for just a moment because we would like to talk to you about microdosing, a topic which has become something of a, a, a hot issue lately. Very popular. 
while you might associate the term microdosing with psychedelics, today's sponsor, the good folks over at Lumi Labs, whose microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that'll have you feeling just the right amount of good and relaxed. They're also great for, you know, creativity, alleviating minor pains, and taking the edge off the good old-fashioned anxiety we're all feeling these days. Uh, Vespi and I received some of these in the mail, and I can tell you firsthand that these gummies taste great. Uh, I'm especially a fan of the water. Did you get the watermelon one? Mm, no, I just, <laughs> I didn't. There's like a grape one that I got, uh, and I think that's the one that I've had the most. I, I ended up sleeping through most of this weekend, thanks in no small part to uh, to these Lumi gummies. Very good. Well, I, I got watermelon, and uh, I forget what the other one is, but watermelon's really good. Uh, at any rate, since they arrived, I've gotten in the habit of taking a few before I go to bed just to make sure, uh, you know, that I'm falling asleep even easier. And I never wake up with that, like, lethargic feeling that you sometimes get when you get to, uh, you know, elevated before bedtime. This is frequently a problem for someone such as myself. But Lumi's microdose gummies really seem to be hitting uh, the, the sweet spot for me as well. Lumi's microdose gummies are available nationwide. Yep, nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code KINGCAST to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com. Use the code KINGCAST. Free shipping, 30% off. You can't beat that with a stick, folks. Indeed. I think it's maybe time to get back into uh, that little conversation we were having with Mr. Heidecker. What do you think? Let's go. So, eleven twenty two sixty three. I think we've already kind of figured out why you picked this one. You're not um, you're not super into horror. Uh, you, it sounds like you're you're bigger on sci fi, which is mm -hmm. cool. Um, and history. Yes, mm. uh, history. I love. I'm a big history buff and uh, American. You seem history. like a very well read dude to me. Like you oh, yeah? probably got three books going on at one time. Yeah, I'm a little. I'm in a bad, I'm in a little bit of a slump with the, with the reading. I think I need to change up my game a little bit. I started going into like the e like reading on the iPad and then yeah. that, that, that I just don't feel the urge to, I, I just tend to like close out of the book and go to my stupid Twitter and, and social <laughs> right. media stuff, you know, like, right. I really have, uh, but I'm trying to think what I'm, I'm reading the, who's the silent movie, uh, Buster Keaton. There's like a new mm, biography yeah. of Buster Keaton that's supposed Love to be Buster really... Keaton. I tear through like bio, like you know, biographies and uh, right. I just read this one about Letterman from like it was all about. Well, it's just a biography of David Letterman, basically. But um, I, 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 those are very like recreational for me. I, I, I'm not like in the middle of a great novel at the moment. <laughs> no, but I'm not surprised to hear that you're you're a history buff. Yeah. Like you, you, that, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Um, do you have any, uh, particular feelings about, well, I guess I, you're a very politically outspoken person and, and thank God, because, you know, we need, need as many people as we can get to be screaming about how awful everything is right now. Yeah. Um, I, so I was wondering if there wasn't any political angle on this, on why you picked this title. But it sounds mm -hmm. like probably not. I'm a bit. Well, I do believe JFK is still alive. 
Yes, yes of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> he's going to come back and <laughs> usher Trump back into the yeah, White House. Yeah, with all this numerology stuff. Uh, which he is, needs to watch out, though, because I heard his son is making a comeback, too. Well, they're coming back together. It's a father, it's a father-son operation. Oh, um, I haven't checked in in a while. With my, oh, there's my crazy There's crazy stuff happening. There's this, I'm fascinated, this guy who's like using... He's basically like Kington from Decker, uh, Greg's character, who's like making all these <laughs> code, these connections between like the number of letters in a word, you know, equaling uh-huh. a, a number and that equals another number, equals another word. It's like <laughs> there's stuff out there that's bonkers about the JFK's coming back stuff, the Q stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it was overtly a pol- political. I, I, I find the JFK assassination conspiracy theory conversation uh, as many people do very interesting and um one thing that i think he says it in the intro of the book that he kind of like comes to the or maybe at the end i can't remember but you guys will know but he kind of comes to this conclusion that it wasn't a conspiracy or that was at least a you know that it was just oswald yeah and that is interesting to me because i feel like he makes a good case and right. i kind of find stephen king to be a very trustworthy you know person uh and a smart person that i don't find there to be an agenda there you know in fact like wouldn't it be more interesting if he nobody would love it more than him if he could kind of <laughs> exactly. lay out this very kind of <laughs> You know, elaborate, interesting conspiracy for sure. Add another right. 200 pages to the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's anything overtly political about that. I, I don't know if I would be a, a JFK supporter if I was living back then, you know, um, I'm sure. Yeah. What, well, what do you personally think of the, the conspiracy theory stuff well the do you, only do you personally believe he acted alone i i think in as i recall and it's been whenever what when, when did this book book come out what year what year are we talking here a uh, long time ago back in 2011 2011 okay so i probably read it when it came out i don't think mm-hmm. i think i read the the re- when it, it was first released so yeah that is going back a little while isn't it damn decade That's, now 11 years. Well, we did um, have like a two and a half year black hole that, that, uh, rearranged right. how we perceive time. So it's totally, but not quite <laughs> totally over yet. <laughs> I think I was, uh, open to the idea that it was not a, uh, conspiracy that, uh, but th- I think right around then or right after that, there was an, there's another interesting theory that, that was going around that, that was kind of based on the idea that the secret service might have accidentally <laughs> do you know about this one this no i'm just no, the, the inflection on accidentally yeah i mean this kind of there the, what this theory uh suggests is that there was oswald who, who took the shot but in in a in the, the reaction to that shot was a secret serviceman accidentally firing off his weapon that is that resulted in the kill shot that is the kind of dumb fuck up shit that would yeah. actually happen versus intricate, you know, political conspiracies between, you know, Cuban revolutionaries and, and Russian <laughs> yeah. agents and shit. Because you know, it's like then you yeah. still get the cons- you still get a conspiracy. It's a, it's a cover up because there's obviously like dodgy shit going on around the Warren Commission and certain sure, things sure. disappearing and the body 
the autopsy being weird and you know like there's there's definitely weird shit going on but i just always go back to like conspiracies seem very hard to pull off it feels like you have to have so many people involved so many people talk so many people tell their best friends you know it's very hard for people to like keep things under their hat i think and um that makes me think that it's probably the Occam's razor right? Um, (laughs) that like probably what happened is what happened. Um, But I like that theory because that other, and people can look into it, but, and maybe it's been debunked or whatever, but it kind of is based on ballistics and sort of, you know, the the weaponry that these secret service had versus what Oswald had. And, you know, it gets into that whole thing, which, yeah, sure. Well, Kennedy was was hit twice. Wouldn't that tent, wouldn't that like right there solve the magic bullet theory? Yeah. You know, like that's, that's what I really like about it. And yeah, that is, that is a conspiracy that I could believe. I mean, especially like, you know, what are we, uh, two, three weeks away or, or past, uh, Uvalde. You know, like when mm-hmm. the cops didn't do fuck all and, you know, it was just Keystone cops level nonsense out there. I could absolutely imagine that being the case. Someone pulling a revolver and fucking bang, just, uh, <laughs> you know, accidentally killing the president. Yeah. All the Secret Service gets nudged in the, the chaos and suddenly the pres- top of the president's head, head's gone. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Guys, it, may- was a, it was a conspiracy or something. That wasn't <laughs> me. Yeah, betting on humanity being dumb enough to accidentally shoot the president is way more uh, li- better odds than than smart enough to pull off a yeah, mega conspiracy like that. And yeah. and it can also be the thing where like it might have been an accident or it might have just been Oswald or anything. But the result of him dying uh, created a tremendous opportunity for lots of terrible people. You know, it it, yeah. Yeah. it, it changed the the direction of the war in vietnam and you know did all sorts of um resetting of of the of priorities um so you know it could have just been a great opportunity for the industrial military industrial complex but if uh if what king posits is is true then uh you know the him him uh living wouldn't have uh right uh, well that's uh, been any better which is which is very fascinating um the butterfly effect yeah sort of like no matter what you do like that's maybe the weird the weird premise of the thing the weird uh which sets everything off is that it's suggested that if you do this one thing it will change the course of history Mm -hmm. um make things better that seems a little um, like m- maybe they could have thought about some other things they could have done, you know, <laughs> Right. but I guess it's because well, the, the smart thing that they do in the book is that it can, you can only go to this one time and place. Right. And so what can you do with that? It, it really, it shrinks the limits of what's possible. Uh, what effect you can, what, you know, what, what effect you can have. Right. And I, th- I think this is a good spot to actually kind of talk a little bit about what the plot is on, yeah. on this book, just in case people haven't read it or, or watched the Hulu adaptation. We normally task that to our, our guests, but since it's been 10 years, I, I if you want to pass the buck, you're I could take a welcome. swing at it. I mean, yeah, yeah, go for it. It's a, a, a guy who's a teacher. Is that right? Is That's right. Mm-hmm. What's the name? What's Jake's name? Jake. Jake. Epping. Yeah. Jake goes to this like ice cream shop or a diner or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is friends with the guy that owns it or runs it. Anyways, there's a, a, 
out. There's a portal there, naturally. <laughs> Some kind of portal. Un- unexplained why. Really no, no, no known reason why it exists there. But if you go through that portal, it spits you out in uh, the same place, almost like Back to the Future, right? Where it's like, yeah. it's, you're there, but it's 1958 or something. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he can go back to the present at any point, correct? Correct. Yeah. But, but it completely resets. Yeah. It resets so that when he goes back through the portal, he's back at the same date uh, that that it always will be. It's June whatever, 1958. And so after doing that a couple of times, he goes, well, what's the best thing I could do? Or Al suggests that the, what, what could I do with this? What, how can I change the world for the, for the, for better? He said, well, the, because of the uh, time we're in, you if you could stop the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy in Dallas, that would, that would make the biggest impact on the world. And so what the clever, one of the clever things about the book is that he, it's in real time. So he has to live uh, five full years in the late 50s, early 60s. Uh, and he has no tools except what he knows of what has happened. He knows he can kind of predict the future up to the, up to the present right. of his own present. So uh, he's got a you know, start from scratch. He goes, he can't use his own money because the money that he would have in, in, uh, you know, he, he, his, all, all his clever kind of thinking of like thought experiment of like, if you get tossed back in, into the late fifties, how do you, you know, what's your first day like? Like, how do you, after you just have to be very cognizant of the people around you and not start talking to you know, adapt their, their language and their clothes. And it is like going to another planet, you know, it is, right. It is a a culture shock. So I think he, he kind of like figures out a way to win at sports, right? He starts betting on sports because he knows all He's got a little bit of a, that back to the future two sports almanac thing going on where, where uh, Al who sends him on this mission, like gives him a, essentially a dossier, which is like, here's all the big important events leading up to the Kennedy assassination, the main players, right? And here's a whole list of uh, big sporting moments. So, uh, so you can fund your, your stay essentially by, by making bets. Yeah. Now, why doesn't uh, Jake just go and like sh- kill Oswald? Like the first thing he does. Well, that's, that's interesting because there's, uh, and this is tied up to how the reader relates to the JFK assassination because there's still a question is like if he didn't act alone or if he did act alone, then killing Oswald stops the assassination. If he didn't act alone, then all that did, all you're doing is getting rid of the Patsy that he claimed he was right. right? And then they'll find another person to kill JFK. And Jake is a moral uh, person in this. I mean, he, he is a good person and wants to do this the right way and doesn't want to, I mean, it, it, he. That's so. One of the great things about the book, I think, is that they Stephen King treats the situation very seriously, um, and it's not and re- just, realistically too. And realistically, he, yeah. Because so you can, he, you know, you can put on your hypothetical hat all day and go, yes, of course, I would kill baby Hitler to, you know, to stop the Holocaust or whatever. But you know, an average everyday person, you send back in time to murder somebody <laughs> or whatever. When you're actually there and you're the one to murder somebody. It, you know, it, it, there is a moral question. At yeah. Play. 
And know, there's like, other you people there that are going to try to stop you from doing these things, you know? <laughs> yeah. They um, might not want you to drop kick a baby across a room. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, so he's not, he's uncertain. He needs to do the research and, and to do that requires, um, him kind of, uh, ingraining himself in life in Texas and f- getting to know the family a little bit without tipping his hand. So it becomes kind of this, you know, a, a bit of a spy novel, a little bit like yeah. doing his own research. And then at, at any point, if he has to, you know, if he wants to go back to get any kind of more intel or figure anything out, it resets everything. So he, there's a few points in the book, I think, where he he has to go back to the present times and start over, right? Yeah, he gets he gets one of those. The, there's a ticking time time bomb on this whole thing because the diner where this portal is, it's like in a back pantry somewhere um, is uh, about to close and about to be demolished. And so it's like he has, uh, you know, he can go back as many times as he wants, but, uh, and he'll come back within a couple of minutes of him leaving. But like, essentially he has one night before this place is destroyed and his, the window closes. And uh, Al, the guy who runs it, who sends him on this mission, he that was his mission. He did a run of this and almost made it, but he got cancer. And uh, because you, like you said, you have to live five years there. He wouldn't have made it to the assassination day. So he comes back and essentially has to find somebody um, to do this. And um, you know, Al's life was heavily impacted by Vietnam. He lost a brother. Uh, you know, he he right. pinpoints the JFK assassination as as you said the moment where everything went bad for a while. You know, the, you know, Robert Kennedy was killed, you know, Martin Luther King was killed, you know, all this stuff happened in the wake of the Kennedy assassination. And he posits that if that single event doesn't happen, then that has a ripple effect that is only positive. The Vietnam war doesn't happen. Hundreds of thousands of lives are saved and, you know, and, and all this, this stuff. And, uh, and so that's, you know, he finds this English teacher, like you said, just this normal, English teachers going through a divorce, you know, he's yeah. just a, a guy, you know, uh, but a guy that's uh, smart enough and, you know, has enough moral fiber to, to send on this mission. And also, I guess, coincidentally, a guy that, you know, just lost everything he has that connects him to that, you know, his own time and place. So, yeah. And also a- another, another wrinkle is that the, the past will work against him. Yes. Like, yeah. uh, while he's trying to change it, which is create some, some pretty cool, like final destination shit there. In the, right. uh, you know, toward the end where it's like, he's just got to get down a street or something. And it's like, oh, and then, and then the scaffolding fell, fell down and then this building exploded <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, yeah. a yeah, has this feeling that you're like, he's walking against the wind a little bit of time right. or something that is a fun way for the story to introduce. Like, yeah, like you said, these like clever things that happen that get in the way and you're wondering how it's going to, how, if he's ever going to do it. Yeah, the the bigger that the change that would happen, like the crazier it gets. So like he he does a the test run that you're talking about. He does a test run where there is a local person that he taught like an adult student, um, you know, who is a little simple, but, you know, a nice guy. And he had a, a, a trauma that happened to him and his family, his father like uh, killed his brother and his, his, uh, his mom and in front of him and almost killed him. And and so essentially the test run is this spits him out like within I think a, a month or two of, of, uh, uh, of that event happening, the whole, can we change something and come back and will it change 
the future. They do a test and, and he does a test and he goes back and he changes that, saves the kid. And then he does a dry run essentially and, and right. sees that that does change and it did change his life. And, and it didn't, you know, it's, it's also kind of foreshadowing because it didn't really change his life for the better. You know, it's like he, he's kind of in a better spot, but you know, he's still, you know, lost his brother and like, you know, in a different way and, you know, and all that. But like in that dry run, like he wakes up with a horrible flu and stomach bug and on the night that he's supposed to try to, you know, save, you know, save this family. And the timeline is what it is. And yes, you can change it, but it causes, you know, a whole bunch of problems. And the timeline just naturally wants to be as it is and will work against, uh, will work against you. It just, I don't know. It's just so smart because he sets up all these rules that doesn't make this just an A to B to C easy thing. Right. You know? It reminds me a little bit of this. Um, I don't know if it's a, probably not a good movie, but it's that that Invisible Man that Chevy Chase made. Remember mm-hmm. that? No, Memoirs. 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 Yeah. I think it was a pretty good movie. And what was I liked what it. I remember being cool about it was like it, it was thoughtful about what it would mean to be invisible in that right. you would be in danger because people couldn't see you and things would like, you know, you'd be, people would be running, you know, walking right into you or run, you're, you know, driving a car in front of you. So it reminded me of that in that, like, like I said earlier, Stephen King was very thoughtful about the implications of going back in time uh, and really just, you know, was pretty thorough about the whole thing. Yeah. Do you feel particularly, and I'm asking this because you're a sci-fi guy, do you have any uh, particular uh, preference for time travel stories? Mm. Well, what I'm, what I'm thinking about here is that, like, I feel like everyone has their little weird fantasies that they think mm-hmm. about, you know, not necessarily sexy ones, but, <laughs> you know, like, what if I could time travel? What if I could fly? What if I could teleport? Right. What if I could do this, that, you know, uh, time travel seems to be a, a, a really popular one. I don't um, see much value in like going back in time, frankly. Sure. I would think if there'd be something I'd like to go maybe like 200 years into the future, that would be kind of interesting. Cause I'll never be able to experience that or know like, it's totally hypothetical what that would be. Um, but it would seem, I know time travel is not real, <laughs> but <laughs> it would seem to me that if it were possible, you could only go forward, but not backward because of the fucking, what's the word? Not conundrum. The, the uh, paradox. The paradox. paradox. Yes. Right. Well, you uh, can do what they do in like the, the real like interstellar or something where if you go somewhere in space, your, your time slows so that when you come back, it's like a hundred years in the future. That seems like that's possible. true. That's right. true. Well, there's also the the whole angle to explore of a, you know, is the timeline changeable? Is the multiverse thing a real thing? Is that what time travel really is? Is you just essentially fracturing the timeline into a different timeline? And you know, I don't know. There, I think that's why people are so fascinated by time travel stories because everybody wants to correct a mistake, right? Everybody would love, you know, the the fantasy of you know, helping somebody or helping yourself or changing something. Um, but like, you know, just the whole unintended consequences thing. And this is something King uses hugely here, you know, spoilers for the end of the book, but like, you know, Jake does end up, you know, stopping the assassination and he comes back and it's a hellscape. 
Right. Um, and uh, be careful what you wish for. It, yeah, and you know the 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 reason why that that's so effective, by the way, is because King introduces a love story in the middle of this, where where uh, Jake, uh, his name is George Amberson, that's the name he takes in the the fifties and sixties. Um, he falls in love with with somebody. He falls in love with uh, the librarian at the school that he's working for, and she doesn't make it like she, she, you know, the, the time, as we said, fights back and, and she gets killed and he's like, I'm going to fix it this time. But like kind of realizes that, that there is no fixing it, that the only way to, to fix it is to completely, you know, leave it alone. Right. right. And, uh, and, you know, and so it makes it more complicated versus like, Oh, the, this is just a loop that this guy's on where he's going to keep trying to make things right forever. You know, he has to at some point tap out and just say that, you know, give up everything that he wants and, and loves. And cause all he wants is this girl. He's like, fuck Kennedy. I'll let Kennedy die, but I want this girl. And, um, you know, realizes that he can't do that, that no matter what he does, if he goes, goes back and is with her and there's a love there, it's a true love that she loves him and he loves her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have that she dies, you know, early and, and humanity suffers for it in a weird way. So, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, it is a very fascinating thing and very Stephen Kingy, in uh, in kind of connecting the plot mechanic to the to the characters. Agreed. You're welcome. <laughs> Tim, have you ever been to the uh, Sixth Floor Museum in Dallas? Yes, and that that's also another, uh, I think, illuminating experience to stand at that window and kind of realize that, like, you know what, that I could see. That's not that crazy to see to right to imagine uh, the him being able to 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 hit him. Um, not, I mean, it's crazy that somebody would do that. I'm not saying it, it's not it's a good idea. It's just plausible, right? That <laughs> it's possible. It doesn't you know? seem like an impossible shot, right? No, not the way that Oliver Stone and you know, I think like the the Oliver Stone movie um, certainly popularized and and. Uh, created the culture of believing in the uh in the conspiracy theory and then upon looking back it appears that there's just lots of things that are not true in that movie i can't <laughs> exactly cite specifics i just know sort of conversationally that it, there was a lot of uh you know uh drudging of the numbers perhaps yeah yeah the the single uh shooter version of the story you know it almost it requires you to accept the chaos that that the that the world is you know that that things random shit can just happen and um there's almost a comfort and this is not this is a fairly you know known explanation for conspiracy theories uh is that it, it does provide comfort in that at least there's a plan (laughs) <laughs> it right. might be an evil plan, but at least there's like, there's reasons for why things happen. Making um, sense of the chaos. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it satisfies that, but I, and who knows, uh, we'll never really know. So, um, it's just, it'll be an eternal sort of conversation debate. My, my one little note to add on to the sixth floor museum is that, uh, like I grew up in Dallas. I've been to that joint like several times. Uh, I think it's really ghoulish that the city of Dallas maintains a giant X on the road, like mm. at the precise <laughs> spot where Kennedy was shot. Like, doesn't that strike you as odd? 
I mean, like a tr- it's like a treasure map it, to this guy getting his head as a target. Yes, right. if you think about it as a target, that's that's perhaps problematic. Um, I do I do find it like just it's a very if you're interested at all in American history, it's a it's very worth your time. I think to to go down there and witness that little area because it's yeah. it is little, it is contained. You it makes it makes a lot of things kind of make sense about that moment in history to be there and see it. If you were growing like as a kid growing up in Dallas. You could either brag about the Cowboys or you could brag about being the city where JFK got shot. Those were our two <laughs> claims to fame. Basically. Troy Aikman That's and yeah. President Kennedy's brains. Yes. Yes. The, the only things to have some sort of weird pride about that was like totally backwards when you think about it. But um, yeah, I, 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 I do think it's a fascinating place to go to. And I, and I, I also think you're right that, that seeing it, Seeing it with your own eyes and seeing the actual geography of the place is instructive in a way. Here's another question I had, and we may want to cut this because I'm going to have to step very carefully here, but how the fuck do I get into this conversation? How do I? (laughs) I'm trying to think of how to put this. Lee Harvey Oswald was right. No, no, no. Well, let's try it from this angle. Like, do you think assassinations are ever justified? Mm Hmm. Well, <laughs> it's, it's <deep. laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I don't know. There's because certainly of- like singular people that are extremely uh, effective of how the world is, uh, the direction the world is going. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are very dangerous, problematic um, leaders out there that uh if we're if we're removed if would you kill hitler if he was you know it would you assassinate uh putin if there's an opportunity right. you know so i i suppose it's uh all's fair in love and war um yeah well, I, don't know. I guess that's i guess that's the line like if you're in a war scenario like uh putting a sniper on hitler you know, in 1944 is different than putting a sniper on Hitler in 1937, right? Or 36, you know? Um, so it's like, at what point does it become, you know, just war between nations? And at what point is it, you know, kind of fringe territory, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. I mean, it, it's, uh, a cert- it's a str- strategic decision i suppose i don't know right. and then you know you it's a could be a bit of whack-a-mole because there's always going to be somebody uh right. coming up but um i'm not personally advocating for any assassinations at the moment no, of course right. not. we would never do anything like that um well, and there's also something that you know that that comes in the wake of an assassination that is usually not what the person doing the assassinating wants to happen in terms right. of you know the, the power yeah. void we saw that with saddam hussein Right, you know, getting filled with mm-hmm. with uh, even worse people. There's, but then there's also the you know unintended uh, consequence. Like one thing that that King plays with a little bit here is that without JFK, uh, the the goodwill of the country being with Lyndon Johnson after the assassination, do we get the Civil Rights Act passed? You know, right? 
It's like, yes. probably not. Lee Harvey Oswald, you know, is a div- as a character, you know, character as a person is kind of hard to peg because he's, he's very like left wing, but then he's also very kind of what we'd associate with a lot of right wingers these days, you know, gun nut, you know, he would be yeah. a Q believer, you know? So it's like, sure. yeah, he's a, seemed like just kind of a unstable person prone to wild ideologies depending on who's got his attention at that moment i don't know it's a a tough question like you know which is kind of i think why most time travel stories just end up with a best scenario is just to wash your hands of the whole thing and let what bygones be bygones (laughs) what happened happen yeah you know it's uh uh, you know, it's fascinating. And you, you, we joked about it earlier, but like thinking about how this book ends with, you know, uh, there being a political reaction to Kennedy surviving, which is what I've noticed in my, uh, you know, my years paying attention to politics is, is politics, at least in America is a pendulum swing. Always. Mm-hmm. It is, you go from George W. Bush to Barack Obama, you know, it swung fully the other way. And then you go even more fully the other way with Trump, right? It's just like, and so it makes sense to me that, you know, in this uh, corrected timeline that Kennedy is followed up by George Wallace, like George Wallace gets in, gets in office, you know, the worst possible person, you know, to get into office, you know, especially for the civil rights era right. is the one in this timeline that, that comes into power and does some really terrible shit because this is written well before Trump. This is written yeah. in the heyday of the Obama mm-hmm. administration, you know, when Stephen King was very happy politically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And he still called it. Yeah. All right, Tim, this is usually the point in the show where we uh, allow our guests to you know, tease whatever they're working on next or whatever they'd like to promote, draw attention to where oh. people can find you, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, thank you. What do you thank got you going on? Thank you for that on? opportunity. Oh, yes. Um, busy summer for me. I've got a, an album coming out called High School that's coming out on the 24th next Friday. I don't know when this will come out, but. Oh, it's coming out next Wednesday. So. All right. So that's happening. And then I'm going on tour uh, doing a two act show of uh, my stand-up and my music so it'll be an evening of, Tim, of two tims <laughs> two tims uh going everywhere and that's can be found at timheidecker.com uh those ticket dates are available there and i do the uh office hours podcast with uh, dj doug pound and vic Berger. uh good old vic we love Vic. We do the show every Thursday morning, and it's a lot of fun. We like to laugh. We like to have fun. Some chuckles. Awesome. Brighten the mood. Uh, can I ask <laughs> you if you if uh, you and Alverson are going to do another movie? Um, you know, there's just not a lot of uh, budget. Not a lot of uh, yeah. It's just <laughs> not it's, a lot of funding. It's hard to get shit going these days. There's people put a Captain uh, America in it. It'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I keep telling him I want to do the sequel called The Drama. You know, I think my character in that movie would naturally kind of become a proud boy. And, oh my fucking god! You know, like that's that's not a stretch of the imagination. Think not that. at all. So he's resistant to that for some reason. But I can see exactly how that would happen with that character. Yeah, you know, getting we'll sucked into the irony of it, and then actually right. believing in. Yeah, it. Oh, yeah. It's fucking- he's got the the torches, you know. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the tiki torches the tiki well, torches I, right i do hope you I, I do hope you guys get to make that i i i love the the last two things you Thank worked you. on together and uh very dearly and also i'll recommend that people go watch specifically uh entertainment is is my favorite of the two i think um 
I probably shouldn't tell you that now because controversial you're not the lead pick. in that yeah. one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but 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 either of those movies are great. If you haven't seen them and you're looking for something a little uh, unusual, definitely check those out. And uh, thank you so much for being here today. This was yeah. a delight. It was um, great to talk to you guys. I it was fun to rethink about that uh, book. I really did love it. And shout out to Tom Sharpling who I think tweeted about it. And I th- I'm a big fan of of uh, you know word of mouth. So there's lots and lots of stuff out there, but if you like something, I think like let people know because it's a good way to find cool things. I think it's very yeah. it's the way to do it. To say totally. oh, this was really good. Hey everybody, this remember Stephen King? This is a really <laughs> good book. You know. Um, well, so, well, thanks. Well, thank him. you so thanks. much for being here. This was great. Yeah, have a good one, guys. Take care. Many thanks to Tim Heidecker. For joining us and finally scratching 112263 off of our to-do list. Uh, it's been a long time coming and I, I'm still shocked it took this long, but uh, we done did it. And what a guest to have done it with. That is just a really, really sharp guy and uh, a, a real pleasure to speak to him. Indeed. Love that Tim Heidecker and uh, hope he comes back at some point. We'd love to love to get him back on the show. I want to get him and Turkington on as they're on cinema characters. Like oh, can doing you imagine? The Shining. That's, I mean, <laughs> fucking, that would be a hell of a, hell of a conversation. I don't know if we're going to be able to pull that off, but uh, I'm certainly going to pitch it somewhere up the road. So, <laughs> so we'll find out. So what do we got coming up next week? Next week's going to be a big one, I think. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Do you want to tease what we are, what title we are covering or titles, I should say? <sighs> yes, we are. It's a Dark Tower episode, and it is basically a all-inclusive Dark Tower episode. Mm. It's very long. It's a couple hours long. Um, our guest is a current member of, or a current cast member on Saturday Night Live. A uh, very funny gentleman. And he is a huge fan of the Dark Tower series. Like, deep nerd for this shit. And when we were talking to him about titles to do on the show we kept coming back to dark tower and we we couldn't really figure out what precise angle to take with it and then ultimately threw our hands up in the air and said you know what let's just do the whole fucking thing we'll we'll talk about each of the books and what we like about them what what we might not the movie a little bit some of the supplemental mm-hmm. material it's like a it's again it's an all-inclusive dark tower episode very nerdy pretty funny right. and uh, that's that's coming next week yeah, yeah, the Matt Fraction run on Dark Tower where we're hitting each individual title, we are doing our best to avoid spoilers since he's never read the full mm-hmm. series. So this is our uh, excuse to kind of let the hair down and just talk about everything. So if you are not caught up on Dark Tower yet, uh, one, shame on you, and mm-hmm. two, uh, you might want to skip this one then. Uh, we are going to be going pretty heavy duty into lots of spoilers in the books. This one's more for the Dark Tower uh hardcore fans out there so yes i will say that much very very accurate description right and uh what do we got going on on the bonus end of things this friday yeah so very exciting uh this friday a very long bonus episode in which we bring back our favorite son lewis peitzman to do a new entry into our king by the decade this time we're tackling the 1990s if you're not familiar with that what we have done with lewis so far is hit each and every decade that Stephen King has put out books, had movies made, uh, whatnot. And then we go year by year and kind of evaluate uh, like what's his best year in that decade. And then ultimately we are going to 
I think, try to figure out, pinpoint Stephen King's best year and best decade in total. And uh, we finally hit the 90s, which is a a whole lot of fucking Stephen King. There is so much. There's so many books. There's so many adaptations. There were things that like weren't even showing up on like Wikipedia and various bibliography sites and stuff that we like as we were going, going, oh, yeah, we need to figure in this. They didn't put in any of the Children of the Corn sequels and whatnot. So uh, it went from being, uh, okay, we can get through this to like, okay, we got to buckle down and really get. I think we talk about something like 60 something titles. uh, It's fucking. Yeah, it it is a lot. I. The very beginning of that recording, I was told best be like, let's see if we can bring this one in for a landing, like under two hours. Uh, turns out that's impossible. Uh, <laughs> tackling the 90s. I don't think I don't expect the next one to be that long. And certainly the 80s wasn't. But uh, yeah, there's just so, so, so much shit to get through in the 90s. And also a very formative time for both Eric, I and uh, and Lewis. Yeah. Uh, to, to have been King fans. This is when we're in the thick of it, you know? Yeah. Person, just personally. Day. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And if you want to hear that, make sure to head on over to patreon.com slash the King cast and sign up. And uh, anybody in our $6 and up uh, tiers will get access to this episode. Along with every other bonus episode we've ever done, which is a lot at this point. There are <laughs> a lot. A lot of bonus episodes. I, th- I I do think that people don't realize when they sign up for the Patreon, they get access to all the backlog. And at this point, if you're jumping in, you're you'll have more content than you could ever possibly listen to. There's hundreds of hours worth of stuff on there. And oh yeah, Commentaries, all of it very interesting. Bonus episodes, interviews, bunch of crazy stuff. The uh, and still exclusive on the Patreon. The the season finale of uh, Shelbyville. That is true. That is true. Co-starring Mr. Elijah Wood. That's also true. Yeah, we make it worth your while is what we're saying. So next week, The Dark Tower and this Friday, Stephen King of the 90s on the Patreon. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. Mm-hmm.